All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Bootstrapped Experience podcast, where Jack and I just talk about how it's going with our bootstrap businesses. And we actually got to meet this time. We met in England over the weekend and Monday and Tuesday as well. So that was good. How are you, Jack? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's great. Finally meeting you. Yeah. It's funny when you finally meet someone that you've sort of looked through a screen at for, I guess we've been doing this for quite a while now, right? A couple so, years. Yeah, two years almost. Yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, that's good fun. Yeah, it's funny though, because we, we got on the uh, call and we're like, ah, oh, well, what are we going to talk about on here? Because uh, we kind of talked about everything just a couple yeah. days ago. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, I think you also have some other good types of chats when you meet in person, right? It's, oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. But it was nice. Uh, always good to get away, but been sort of trying to catch up. With, yeah, catch up since. So I don't feel like I've achieved that much <laughs> this week, but that's okay. Yeah. Same, yeah. Yeah. What have you been working on? Well, my big project is React support for Translate CI. So that's actually finished, but nice. I have this habit that I'm trying to get out of, of just sort of like, oh, the coding's done, so let's just uh, get this thing out there, which is not always the best idea. So now I'm actually taking a small pause to finish writing the documentation for it and do a tutorial on how to actually localize a React app, because it's a little more complicated than most other frameworks. There's nothing like built into uh, React. Uh, okay. Does that mean you have some type of library that you import or different types of libraries maybe? Yeah, there's one called i18next, which from what I can see is pretty much the standard. So that's what I built this feature around. Okay. Now I'm just writing a tutorial on how to actually use it. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. I know Shopify also has some support in their React components, right, for localization and things like that. So I'm not sure what they right. use under the hood for that. I do need to look into that. Yeah, I was actually, you know, I was considering, and I probably will at some point, doing a Shopify-specific tutorial. What was funny was, and we actually, it was funny, we talked about this the other day, but I went to grab the open source Shopify app that Gil, a Shopify app developer, put out recently, and I saw that uh, it had been taken down. And I think that's because a lot of people have been just submitting it to the App Store as their own app and probably flooding Shopify with sort of the same app over and over again. So yeah. <laughs> maybe not yeah. the best idea, unfortunately, to use that for this, although it would have been cool. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, especially you kind of want the source code available, right? So people can take a look and see you know, how it was done. Yeah. If the source code's been taken down, then that doesn't make so much sense anymore. Yeah, what I've done, like I've done a couple other tutorials like this, and I just throw up a GitHub repo with sort of the finished code. And it's just like example code, not useful for anything except right. learning how to localize something. Okay. Uh, so I thought, right. yeah. yeah, I guess that's an interesting, you know, the danger of open sourcing a, an entire app, right? <laughs> Especially <laughs> if you were considering submitting it yourself to the App Store. And I think he did that, right? So it is like... I believe uh, so, yeah. Yeah, which yeah, it's is going to get you a lot of competition pretty quick, I think. Yeah, it's a shame. It's because it's a great learning resource. I mean, that yeah. would have been amazing yeah, when we started out. If you could just see a working app, yeah, absolutely. figure out kind of how how everything worked. But oh well. Yeah, not, but I think it's also shows. like it's cool to look at an app built by somebody that knows it pretty well. I think you know, Gil's been building other apps using the React components and stuff as well. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it would have been a, a really good learning resource. But I can definitely understand why he took it down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's cool. So. Have you, or you've added the code and then are you taking a pause to do the documentation and then maybe some marketing material, I guess? 
Yeah, and so I think probably Monday I'll put everything out. I made the mistake last time I released the major feature, which was the Shopify app listing translations of doing that mm-hmm. on a Friday, which pretty much ruined my weekend as I did oh, support for it. And, you know, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, but I'll do no, that again. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always like, which day is the best day to launch things? Because, you know, everyone says, oh, Tuesday or Wednesday, because that's where everyone's sort of, you know, in work mode and everything else. But that's where everybody else releases everything as well. So it's hard finding yeah, the balance of releasing at a time where people will notice you over the other noise that's there and also doing it not on a Friday, for example. Yeah, I like to do a little bit of a softer launch for things just because I'm a solo developer. So while I've tried to think through every contingency, guarantee yeah. when someone uses it in the wild, like it's not going to go 100% according to plan. So I'd rather have you know a couple of people using it rather than 50 or 100. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's usually how I've done things as well. You sort of sneakily add it and then people start naturally using it and then you make a bit more noise once you know everything was working all right. Yeah. yeah this is how I had launched my Shopify apps back in the day as well. And just, you know, I, I guess I've said this before, but just doing like a big banner in the app store or not banner, but some text in the description or somewhere visible where you make it like really clear that this is a beta. So it's a brand new app and we're just sort of looking for testers and people to try it all out. And then... Yeah, I found people are really accommodating. They give you more feedback, less risk that they'll give you a bad review because you've sort of warned them up front saying, hey, yeah, this is kind of new, so expect it not to be perfect. But I'm not sure if that's still a viable option, but I guess so. I think always being clear with people is a good idea. Yeah, I might try it. So I have my Shopify app should be ready to submit in a week or two. I haven't worked on it the last week, but it's getting there. This is basically an example app for Translate CI, but yeah. Yeah, be interesting to hear how the review process goes on that as well. Yeah, I've heard it's a lot different than it was a few years ago, obviously. I mean, it was pretty easy when I yeah. went through it in like 2017 or 2016, whenever it was. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've done one as well. I think maybe it's gotten harder because they've got more automated checks and stuff Yeah, just check for things that don't work. And then there seems to be some level of qualitative feedback, like where, or how would you say, like they can have an opinion on it, <laughs> whether they right. think it's useful or not, or it's using the APIs enough and this type of stuff, right? So yeah, if it's a project you've been working on for a long time, then I think it's more like, oh, I hope this goes through, right? Right, right. Yeah, this isn't, you know, thankfully, I I don't anticipate this being a big business move for me having like a big Shopify app again. This is really to use as an example. So like my idea, like where I'd be totally happy with this is if I get it to like $200 MRR over the course of a couple of months and then use that to like as a case study. So here it is at 200 MRR. Now I translate it into these couple of languages and don't do anything Mm. else. And here's what happens to the MRR. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that makes sense. So you've got some data without multiple languages and some data with multiple languages. Yeah, exactly. And then I can do like the technical tutorials on it as well. Yeah. So I think it's, that, uh, that's I think a great idea. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's something we've been talking about as well. I'm really thinking a lot about marketing now and sort of stopping with the new features on Translate CI and just really go full force marketing yeah. for the foreseeable future. That's a good idea. I think now you've also got it to a place where it feels like it's ready for that, right? Yeah, and so well, in place. yeah, and like I've sort of got a lot of features that are most of the way there, but not a hundred percent. In the interest of like getting feature complete, so now the dev time I spend is going to be on just improving things, making everything a little tighter. You know? Yeah, yeah, and maybe improving onboarding or whatever you find more marketing related code changes, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, interesting. We're talking about this as well, like having where you're building an app so that you can 
showcase your Translate CI. I was just talking to my wife and we're going to do some um, marketing activities for orderly emails, for example. And just the value of having a few brands that we've already set up so that we can create cool screenshots and good looks of the emails in use, right? So instead of always showing, you know, the emails with a shoe in them, <laughs> which I've been doing right. for years, right? Having sort of, you know, four themes that we've customized, each with their own different type of brand. So one might be like a drinks brand with a mock-up of, a, you know, drinks can as the product and then having a logo that we've designed for that, a color scheme, what type of fonts would we use? And then having another brand, which might be, you know, health and beauty or something like that. So with that when we're presenting our products, we're able to present them in a much nicer way, right? So users could sort of look at, at the designs that they see and find one that they could relate to in a sense. But there's a lot of work to do it, to design, you know, five different brands or something like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's cool though. I mean, because then you can kind of, if you hit the major categories then every store owner then can see like, this is what it'll actually look like for me and get a yeah. much better idea. You can picture it a lot easier. So that's a really good idea. Yeah, exactly. And then and we'll just have them as separate brands, which means we can use it for order emails, we can use it for order printer templates, also use it for, for one of the other ones where you do you show how you can design things or customize or whatever, right? And so I can use it across all the apps. So it's it's definitely worth investing the time to to create those brands. But it feels like a, a larger task. But it's probably one of these things that once you actually start, it only takes maybe a week or something. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a fun project anyway. Yeah, exactly. We enjoy, you know, finding designs and brands and things, but the hard part, I think, is not putting your own, the type of branding that I like might not be, you know, like we have to be, it can't right. just be all stuff that I like. It has to be, you know, maybe a brand with like neon and a bit more youthful or something like this. So yeah, be, that makes yeah, sense. it'll be fun. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's the nice thing about doing a developer tool now is like the marketing is just what I like, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know your, your target group pretty well. Right. I guess. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. The marketing uh, thing that we're doing for orderly emails, which is something we chatted quite a bit about, is a pricing change on orderly emails that we've got planned coming up. It's been at $49 one-time fee for forever. And so I was thinking, you know, the question really was, what would happen if I change it to a yearly price instead of a one-time fee, right? Because we have ongoing costs whenever we sell one of these templates, image hosting, and some stores use a lot of image hosting if they uploaded GIFs and all this type of stuff to their emails. We have all the recommended products that we have to keep up to date for each store. And then also support, right? So people keep coming back years and years and years later. So the idea is to move it to a, a yearly pricing. It's been at $49 forever. And I know it's used by a lot of agencies. And if you look at the price evolution of the Shopify themes, they've gone up quite a bit over time as well. So I think it's time to adjust the price as well. And we'll test it at $99 per theme and then on a yearly basis instead of $49 one time. So it, it's quite a price increase and it's always super scary to do those type of things. But I think if we communicate it well and then you know, people coming and finding the app now don't know what it has been for the years before, right? And I wouldn't be changing the pricing for existing customers. It won't be for new customers. And so it feels like it's worth testing it anyway to see how it goes. I think it makes a ton of sense, honestly. And, you know, I was thinking about this after we spoke is like, everything's moving to that. Even just like software I use on a daily basis is moving to like a yearly model. And it makes sense because just, you know, I'm going to reach out and ask for support at some point. And it's weird if I haven't paid in five years or whatever. But yeah, um, exactly. I think the other thing I always think about with like one-time fee, so it's like, it is a, it is like a server-based product you're paying for like a lifetime fee for. I always think that's weird. Like, 
what happens if the company changes hands or maybe you're just sick of it and you shut it down? Like it's, it's like yeah. this weird thing, like, well, they paid for lifetime access. Like you don't have the ability to like sunset a product if you choose to at some point. I mean, I, I know it's within reason or whatever, but like, this is yeah. like a weird thing where just, just say, for example, you decided, you know, I'm just going to live on an island somewhere. I'm not going to run this anymore. Now you have to sort of email everyone and say, well, I know you said lifetime, but this is going yeah. away, you know, in a few months or whatever. And uh, it's like awkward. At least if you're paying yeah. for a year, there's an end date on it. And I find that reassuring, at least. Yeah. And I, I guess the whole point in like, if you know you're paying them every year, there's a higher likelihood of that company having a longer lifetime, right? <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. So if you pay for a one time, and that, that's been sort of the struggle with all emails. It's grown to a certain size. And because it constantly has to find new customers, it's sort of plateaued and it has for, for quite some time. And that's maybe why I don't put like tons and tons of time into it to create new themes and things like that. Because, you know, I think it's grown to about as big as it could be based on running it as I do and not some big funder company doing lots of ads and things like that. But yeah, it, it feels like it's plateaued. And if I'm going to keep focusing on that product, it has to start bringing in a larger percentage of my overall revenue. And orderly emails isn't the lowest, but it's yeah. there's like the two one-time apps are clearly lower than my recurring apps, right? And by quite a bit. So it just feels like, yeah, either it's not worth the effort. Or, you know, once you get to a certain size on the other apps, hey, maybe I should just focus on them instead or do something, change it to yearly pricing, which will create this slight snowball effect of increasing the revenue every year, which will make it worth focusing more time on and resources and effort and everything else. I think in pricing too, and I've never seen this anywhere, but I feel like it's a thing. I, I almost think of sometimes changes like this are almost like free money in a way, because I don't think there's anyone, uh, especially going from like a one-time to a yearly fee, I don't feel like there's anyone that would be willing to pay $49 one time. Go, ah, you know what? Year, you know, $49 a year, like I, I'm not yeah. doing that. Like I don't think that ever happens. No. So I feel like you might as well take the extra money there if you're providing. Yeah, value. exactly. And I think, I think it's just because, you know, changing the status quo is always scary, right? It's it's scarier for me than, you know, anyone that I've sort of mentioned that to has just gone, well, that's a no-brainer. You know, like, <laughs> you should just do that. Right, and, right. And, it, <laughs> and it's also people yeah. that have used the product and would continue to use the product, right, after making that statement. So that's really reassuring to know when you're doing something that's maybe out of your comfort zone. Right. Well, the other thing I never worried about price changes or anything, I always just kind of experimented with them to see what happened is like, you know, as long as you're grandfathering everyone in, you're not making anyone angry. And you're also raising your prices. Like it's probably a little different if you're, you know, say cut them in half and now yeah. people have paid more before yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah, it doesn't impact any old know, users, right? So anyone that has a theme continues to have it. There'll be no changes there. Yeah. And I actually did that. So like I raised prices on the Shopify app pretty regularly for several months, like every month or two, just as kind of an, as an experiment. And then I got to a point where it did, like the price I was at was a little too yeah. high, yeah. basically, and dropped it down, back down to like the previous level. And it was like a little weird because then I had to, I sort of grandfathered in the higher price people. I was like, well, I got to drop their yeah. price. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I've, I've done the same thing before on orderly print, okay. where you sort of over time, incrementally adjust it to try and find where is my maximum when people start pushing back, right? Or when I see the metrics starting to go down in, in the intake of new customers, right? Yeah, and I did the same thing. Just emailed those last group of people and said, hey, when you log in, click here and, and apply for the, new, the lower price, right? And I think also like the fun part about raising your prices is that you need less customers. <laughs> so even if it does you know, drop your customer base or the, the amount of people buying a theme maybe drops by 20%, I've still you know, doubled what I 
charge for the rest of them. Yeah, and you're paying less image hosting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you turn it down. So I think, yeah, just a matter of getting it done. But now we're going to do sort of a marketing campaign around it to, one, let all the partners know, and especially our, our referral partners, that the change is coming. And I think letting them know first and then emailing it out to the existing users of orderly emails that did not buy a template yet and say, hey, if you buy it before this date, you'll keep the old pricing to try and get people in there. And then also cross-selling to our other apps saying, hey, we're making this change. If you have been considering it, now's a great time because you can lock in the old pricing and this type of thing. So we can maybe get a good, a nice little bump on those ones as well before the new pricing kicks in. So then we'll see, you know, if, if it absolutely tanks after we change the price, then, then maybe I'll have to change it back anyway. But uh, I don't think I'd put it, maybe I'd change the price back, but not change the yearly fee part, something like that. Yeah. I just feel, and maybe I'm wrong, I guess time will tell, but I just, I don't think it's going to have any impact on the installs, hardly. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. But I guess there's still like free to install, right? Because changing it going from a one-time fee to a yearly recurring changes how the Shopify app store rates it as well, right? Or the banner that they put. So it'd be interesting to see what difference that makes in ranking and you know, Shopify does promote apps that are free or are free to install. They sort of, they have a higher, I would say, they have more buoyancy towards the top of the app store. Gotcha. So it'd be okay. interesting to see how sense. those changes. I've played around with it and I can definitely do it just as a yearly fee and I can still have it free to install, which it is. So I think I'll end up in a similar place. So it should be all right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been thinking about pricing for Translate CI as well. And it, like, I'm in a weird spot because it's a pretty high priced product. Um, and that's because our humans translating. But what I've noticed is that I have no buffer because I'm paying humans. Right. So I've got a pretty, like I, I mean, I've got an okay margin, but it's not fantastic. And what has happened a time or two is that for whatever reason, I've needed to get something retranslated or basically like, you know, what, yeah, uh, whatever. Jump in so as an example, like we wanted to change the tone on something that was like translated to German right. recently. And I didn't feel like I wanted to charge the customer for that again. But essentially, so I paid to, but I'm still paying a human because it's not a machine thing. So basically ended up all my profit from the job went into, yeah, yeah, to change the translation. Were they upfront about wanting it in a certain tone? And then it just came back not in that tone or was it like afterwards? Yeah, 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 that's that's exactly what happened. And we didn't, you know, I don't speak German. They don't speak German. We didn't quite realize it for a little while. And they came back and said, hey, we heard from our customers. This tone's not quite right. right. Okay. That's frustrating. But is that not something that you can uh, negotiate with your translation service, right? To say, hey, yeah, if we're not sure. happy with the translation that came back, which is what this was, right? It wasn't done in the tone that was requested. Yeah. And maybe you get it cheaper, right? But that's still going to eat into your costs or profits. Yeah, it's not, and I'm not like too worried about like this particular instance. I just, I see that there's a possibility occasionally basically to need to retranslate where it's a case where it's not necessarily like, there was a problem, like it 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 wasn't necessarily the translator's fault in the original time. So I'm not able to get a refund for the original translations or whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, but I also feel like my thing's high priced, you know, I'm not necessarily interested in raising the prices further sure. than they are. I mean, it feels like a pretty expensive product yeah, to me. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I, I keep saying it, but I think you should have like machine translations available as well. For sure. 
that and then funny. have that covered. <laughs> Even though I just said I'm not doing any more features, that is actually the like, yeah, last sure. one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's almost you know yeah. necessary, right? So that you can quickly yeah. move on with something, and then you, when you've made enough changes, you have a human come in and. Or if you're doing like the initial app listing, I think it makes sense to do it with a human and spend the money. But then sometimes on small things, you just want it done. And then, yeah, yeah. so you don't have to, I guess it goes quick with a human, but the price difference, right? So if you're spending money constantly, it can feel expensive, like you say. I guess maybe though, that gives me the kind of leverage to even raise the prices on the human translations a little bit to sort of give me more of a safety yeah. net. Just this is the super premium, you know, you want the best of the best Cadillac, whatever. Exactly. Like Yeah, and then you can you can really how would you say, frame your pricing around what they're trying to do. Yeah. Right. Which I think is always a, a good idea. Or I've heard that it's a very good idea to sign so that they can see themselves in which price bracket they should jump into, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a base price on your service as well where you can cover some of the cost for automated translations, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. There's a monthly fee. You get a certain amount of translations uh, included in that, and then your cost goes down yeah, after that. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Interesting. But then you could, I guess, if somebody's looking to do a lot of machine translation, you could have different tiers as well, right? So, how many do you get included as the base price, even before you involve a human? I think. I mean, in my mind, like it's sort of one of those like if you're going over a certain amount, contact us or whatever, because. Okay. Machine translations are so cheap, like it'd be really, like you'd have to be doing something pretty extreme to sort of make a monthly fee a bad idea for okay. me, just a flat monthly yeah. fee. Yeah, yeah, it's at $79 a month, right? So I guess that covers yeah. quite a few uh, API credits. Times. It does. I mean, I think kind of my research, it was like, you know, a million characters or something like that was about $20. Um, oh, wow. Okay. No one, none of my customers so far are close no, to no, that, no. you know. I guess if somebody comes in with a, a product catalog of 500,000 products and says, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah, where, that's where it hurts. Yeah. But I guess then they have to upload it all and, and everything else. But yeah. Yeah. And I think I can just kind of put a disclaimer like, hey, if you, there's a certain point where this is, yeah. you know, a yeah, problem yeah. and we'll figure it out. Is there different um, places where you can go to get translation services as well that you can get better pricing and, and things like that? Or is it pretty limited what's available on the market? There's a few. There's not, um, there's definitely not many. For machine translations, it actually gets interesting because you're not allowed to. The couple, you know, you, you've probably heard of is um, Google, DeepL, yeah. and Amazon. Yeah. I believe it's Google and DeepL. I'm not 100% sure. Do not allow you to resell the translations in any way. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But I believe Amazon, they're okay with okay. it. Okay. Ah. Yeah. So you do need to, to look at what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And I guess if you keep coming with tons and tons of translations all the time, they're going to kind of work out that you're probably selling them, right? Exactly, yeah. So, uh, interesting. Not a big uh, deal. I just got to keep that in mind as I support machine translations. Yeah, yeah. I hired someone today, which is fun. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. been working, I mentioned it on the last episode, working with Lemon.io, which are a Ukrainian-based hiring agency for developers and designers and copywriters too, I think. Yeah, so that's been a really cool process and just had an interview with the candidate yesterday and that went well. It's a, a Ukrainian lady based out of Germany. Yeah, who's worked with Ruby on Rails for years. So it should be interesting and yeah, I'm excited to have to grow that's the awesome. team. It's, it's on a part-time basis as well. So sort of half full hours and I find that, I can't remember if we talked about that, but I find that really good for my amount of involvement so I can have sort of a, you know, we work in these one-month cycles 
they can have, uh, and we all start on something new at the start of the cycle, at the start of the month. And then they've got, within that month, they put in two weeks of work and should be finished with whatever we scoped out. And that allows me to sort of have two weeks where I'm focusing on supporting them, doing code reviews, yeah, making sure that things are running smoothly for them while they're working. And then the last two weeks of the month, I can sort of use for planning and making sure that the next cycle is well-designed and ready to go by the time they get to it. And it's just a really nice cadence for me to be able to not feel like, oh, whoa, I'm always behind or something like that. I've got sort of time cut out for both things to focus on and enough and to keep at a level where, you know, I feel like retaining that freedom that originally set out to have when I was uh, building apps, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, because for quite a while, I was just working, 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 especially when I was just doing the whole thing on my own. But then now that I've started to, to grow a small team, it's been interesting to try and work out. Well, you know, the original goal for starting a company was to have more freedom and time and and to be motivated about what I'm doing. And then that sort of fell, the more, the busier and busier I got, the less I liked it, <laughs> the less motivated I felt. Right. So, so I've been pretty, how to say, specific about how I now approach hiring because that wasn't my original goal, right? So I think, yeah, I feel like I'm getting into a good groove on that. And the way to do it would be to have, you know, freelance uh, part-time contractors help yeah, me out. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I love that. Yeah, and I don't enjoy hiring and all that, you know, managing people. So I think having them as freelancers helps to keep that level of separation and, and you know, like you pay them a good wage for the, for the time they spend and then have a good relationship, make sure that they have access to everything they need and are well-dressed to take on each task. I think that's a good, that's like the type of working relationship I like to have. For sure. What else, is, uh, what else has been happening? Well, I've been thinking about something I just read about, I think yesterday or the day before, but I think it's super interesting for Shopify developers, and that is the Stripe app marketplace is launching. Oh, yeah. Which uh, is super interesting. I mean, Stripe obviously is pretty awesome. Although it's funny is if you work in the Shopify app ecosystem, you might not have been all that exposed to actually working with Stripe. Yeah. But... I see, like, my initial thought on this is, and I looked and they're, they're launching with, I don't know, around 50 apps maybe. And okay. you can browse the app store now, but you can't actually install any of the apps. They said that'll come in like two to four weeks, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But they've got really good developer docs for building an app. It looks like you can do a lot. And I guess my thinking is, like, well, it's not like a one-to-one relationship because I don't think people typically use Stripe for e-commerce. But there's sure. probably a lot of crossover between some of the big apps in the App Store and what could be good in Stripe. And I think it's yeah. interesting to sort of get in early just as it's launching. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know I'm starting to look. Yeah, that's super interesting. Like I saw some tweets about it as well. And some of the, I read a thread by one of the guys that had gone through the whole uh, process together with Stripe. And he was just oh, nice. su super blown away by the documentation. Like they had documentation before they released the features so you could start you know, looking at that. And they give you like a weekly update email of what's changed. And they were apparently really on it when they launched it, yeah. But I'm surprised you can't actually install anything yet. Um, yeah. It's kind of hard to judge if something's good or bad. But as far as I understand, it runs much like Polaris, right? So you're given components that you can yep. inject into the Stripe dashboard. Yeah, and there's, yeah, it looks like you can sort of inject into the Stripe dashboard. I don't know, and I haven't figured this out yet. I don't know if there's like a separate apps section in the dashboard like there is for Shopify. Okay, yeah. I have to have a look. You don't even have to have any kind of visual component if you don't want to. So if it's like a pure utility app, like the example I think they gave was like exporting to Google Sheets or whatever. 
Like that can just be a connector that happens automatically without any kind of yeah, interface, right. which I think is kind of nice. Yeah. And I guess if you look at it, like Stripe powers, as far as I understand, powers Shopify payments, right? So, right. so even if they don't feel like they have a Stripe account, a lot of stores will have a Stripe account. That's true. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But then again, if they do have a Shopify account, then maybe it's just better to build a Shopify app. So maybe looking at different stuff that other people taking payments online may need. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. But I feel like there's a lot of Shopify apps that people kind of take for granted that don't exist for Stripe right now. So just as an example, like my first thought, and of course, this actually already exists in the in the Stripe app store, was uh, failed payment reminders. Okay. So yeah. they're launching with that. But like, that's like a big thing. And they kind of have something similar in the Shopify app store. But you can just you could almost just make that app for Stripe. Or, yeah. or I think there's a lot of like, you know, sort of big Shopify apps you could make for Stripe. Yeah. That, Aren't yeah, yeah. And uh, as well, like Stripe, I'm sure it has lots of webhooks and everything else, right? So if you're already receiving Shopify webhooks to automate some task or to do something, right. it's probably not a giant thing to react based on Stripe's webhooks instead. Of course, yeah. yeah. You have to look at the, the API and everything else. But obviously, having done invoicing for, <laughs> for quite a few years, that right. you know that feels like maybe it could be a cool thing to explore there. Yeah, and it looks like, you know, they're launching with the big companies to start with, so MailChimp, Postmark, you know, HubSpot, I think, you know, those kind of things. But uh, yeah, I guess that's one of the questions is like, does a independent developer have the ability to get into the App Store or are they going to be limiting it to big companies for now? It seemed like they were kind of opening it up to everyone, but probably worth finding out before you put a lot of work in. Yeah, absolutely. It's always... Getting in early on these type of things can be pretty pivotal as well, right? For and sure. Stripe yeah, already like, has a giant user base. So it's like saying, hey, here's a marketplace that already has X amount of users, and they're going to be pretty excited about browsing the App Store to add functionality. Yeah, exactly. I think so. I mean, I, I, I would be actually use Paddle, but... Yeah, right. I would be, I would, you know, I'd be interested in... Well, actually, uh, speaking of Paddle, so Paddle, I think they're... I don't know about any app store plans, but they just bought ProfitWell this week. Oh, wow. I think they're going to be integrating that into like the core of Paddle, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's always been ProfitWell. Yeah, they've they've done pretty well over, over the years. So yeah. I'm sure it wasn't cheap. <laughs> well, so I think I think they said 200 million. That's, that's the thing I'm actually really wow. curious. Yeah. So I haven't checked it out yet, but apparently they did like, they literally put like videos of like their negotiation phone calls and stuff and like uh, made a little small documentary about it they put on the website. So I'm going to definitely oh, wow. check that out. It sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Which yeah. is so smart because, you know, when you have a SaaS developer customer base, like everyone's going to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to fill up pretty quick. But again, it'd be interesting to see like uh, what type of, you know, how much people charge for these apps. Yeah. All those type of things. So yeah, for sure. All the big companies will get in there, and then it'd be interesting to see what happens with um, Bear Metrics. Then, right? I can see they're already in there. Is- yeah. So Bear Metrics, you know, it's funny. I saw this on Twitter yesterday with the founder talking about it and talking about the ProfitWell acquisition. And I, he said something, and I wasn't hundred percent clear on it, but it sounds like at some point Stripe paid him for exclusivity. All right. So, which I thought was interesting. So it was almost like uh, this project only works with Stripe. Yeah. Okay. That's which a smart. Would explain why they're promoting it in their app store now. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know about that. But that's a, I wish someone would pay me to be exclusive on Shopify. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I already yeah. am, right? Um, right. <laughs> but I think, you know, Shopify, pretty much everyone's, except for some 
you know, like larger players yeah. think, uh, generally build just for Shopify and, and see how that I goes. I think so. Yeah. That'd be fun to follow along with and see what happens. Yeah, I just know over the next, like, I can't spare the time to just jump on this and be like, I'm going to be a Stripe developer now. But I will say I'm going to spend, I'm going to dedicate at least a couple days over the next few weeks to sort of scope it out and see if I think it's like a real opportunity. Yeah. I think because I just I, I saw what happened to the early people in the Shopify ecosystem. I mean, yeah, the ones that were there in 2012 and stuff. Well, I mean, you were part of that group, like that's yeah, uh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was you know it was a big part of getting in early, right? In being able yeah. to get a certain moat or size before everyone else came in. Um, yeah, that's really helped. But what's funny is, and you know, it's weird. Like we don't know because we're just in our bubble, I guess. But like, I feel like. Everyone has learned that lesson from Shopify, so maybe the Stripe App Store will just fill up day one, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I think, you know, Stripe is is so well-known, and the not the complexity is less, because obviously it's a super complex business, but I think to build an app for it is maybe less complex than it is for an e-commerce solution. It looked a little bit simpler, yeah. Yeah, and also because you're mainly looking at after-sale services. So whether it's accounting, it's billing, data analytics, all that type of stuff. You know, you're not going to see a pop-up tool, I don't think, in the, right. the app store. Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like I don't it's think more so. reacting to transactions that are coming in or new customers or whatever, right? Yeah, I got the impression, I mean, just from looking at the apps that are in there now, that the sort of extent of like interfacing with a customer is going to be some sort of post-purchase email. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, because I don't want to be, I guess there's a bunch of compliance rules and things as well, right? Right. It looked like they, everything was pretty locked down and what the apps could see yeah. you know yeah well, i guess totally makes sense, and yeah. a way to look at it is like in shopify you've got customers you've got orders you've got products inventory all these type of things whereas for stripe i'd imagine you'll have more a transaction right you'll have a customer you know and there won't be that many different resources that you'll be able to base your api around right yeah it didn't seem like there were too many yeah oh, interesting i can see the yeah. sendal and rewardful and yeah that's cool yeah that'd be fun to follow along but uh, yeah, like you say, it's like, oh, shiny new things. <laughs> right. <laughs> How much time can you dedicate to this and move on? But, yeah, um, it's tough. Like, you know, I just, I'm in, I'm in this mode with, with Translacy. I'm just putting in a ton of hours, and just trying to get it there. And uh, yeah, I can't jump on to like new projects too much. No, no. And how do you feel about it? Like, are you still motivated? And do you feel like it's going I well enough I feel... and this type of thing? I feel maybe a little burnt out, and I think it's just because, I mean, I'm at that point where it just feels like I'm pushing a boulder uphill. Uh, Weirdly, though, like I've gotten more sort of positive feedback and people excited about this than I did for the Shopify app. And maybe it's just because I'm more plugged into developers and stuff. Sure. It's tough. I mean, I feel like in some ways that this is a thing that developers think is really cool, but... Mm don't necessarily want for themselves in a lot of cases. And I think that's because, you know, you're going to have to, you're still going to have to prepare your app a little bit for the most part, unless you're already translating it somehow. So it's like you're looking at some hours spent just preparing your app to localize. Yeah. So it's tough. I mean, yeah, I worry a little bit and I hope I'm wrong, but I worry a little bit that some of the feedback I've gotten is almost like a false positive for this because I think it's kind of an interesting project, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fun, maybe technical challenge or like you can see, yeah, that'll be useful, but maybe not enough people are actually doing the thing that you're solving for, right? Right. So like, just as an example, like when I announced the Shopify app listing thing, I got like 15 signups. Amazing. You know, 
But from what I could see is a, the majority of them, I got a few customers from the majority of them were sort of, this is cool. I'd like to poke around this app for a little while, which I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could see because like the app listings they were hooking up were, you know, Shopify built apps and things like that. They're just uh-huh. kind of interested in seeing how it worked, you know, yeah, which sure. is fine. Okay. But like, yeah, yeah. it's a... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's tough to figure. It's out. maybe not the type of customer or the type of person that will lead to a customer, right? That's someone that just thinks it's a cool project, and yeah, they might yeah, give yeah. me good feedback on it, but might never actually pay for something like this. Yeah, yeah. But I think we've talked about it before. You know, the the time between discovering your tool and actually using it for what it was intended for can yes. be quite long, right? So for sure. I know for myself at the moment, you know, the first project for our new developer will be to translate our apps translate the UI and everything else. And that's where something like this will come in handy or this will come in handy. And then once you've done that, then you get to the app store listing because you've got to do... So it's like a quite a long drawn out process. First, I need to hire this new person, right? And then it'll take a few weeks for them to get up to speed. Then we'll translate the app and start doing pull requests to start using the service. And then finally, we'll have the app store listing translated at the end once we've got the app translated as well. So yeah, you know, I can see from my own point of view, at least that it will be useful. It just takes a long time before we actually get to use it right. at that point. But. So the customers that have been really good, and I guess I got to think about how to just target them better, are like the people that are already translating their app into multiple languages. This is just a thing. And they know it sucks and it's a pain point for them. And then they go, oh man, okay, well, the app's already ready to be localized. It's being localized just with someone else. So they just switch and it's pretty painless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I found is like, and I I have had like slower cycles where someone sort of signs up, they check it out, they maybe connect something, but then they actually pay like, you know, a few months later. But the majority, it's like a two hour thing. Like they sign up, they hook, yeah. And I think that's because they're already doing, well, I mean, I've talked to them, a lot of them, and Mm. it's because they're already doing it some other way that's painful for them. Yeah, right. Just solves that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. And I think maybe the even if you do have translations from elsewhere and they were automatically translated, then maybe it's really nice to switch over to this and go, right, now I'm going to have a human do it properly because I can see right. that it was, you know, it was valuable and um, it's worth the investment to have it done properly, right? Yeah. So that was actually, and see, now you say this, this points me towards machine translations again, because <laughs> that was something I added in for an early customer was that they had been using machine translations. And so I give them a little flag so they could say, you know what, just normally it won't retranslate stuff that's already been translated if right. it came from somewhere yeah. else. And so I had a little flag for them. So it says, oh, you know what, wipe out anything that was there, get it retranslated. Yeah, sure. I, I guess that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And that, that's a couple a people use that. Because you want yeah. to say that this is a stale translation or whatever, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I can definitely feel you on like, it feels like pushing boulders uphill, but you know, I have that feeling as well. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and I had it with the shop. I think it's harder, too. like, to be yeah. fair, I think it's harder in the start, right? Because you're not sure yet if it's going to get to where you want it to be and all that type of thing. But Right. Yeah. It was just um, to say that even if you <laughs> even if you get there, it's still going to feel like a boulder uphill. For sure. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> and, you know, and this the thing I need to keep reminding myself is I am, time-wise, I'm ahead of where I was with need A-B testing after this amount of time. Okay. Like, quite a bit, quite a bit further. So, yeah. It's not like, you know, I mean, I think need A-B testing took me a year or 14 months or something like that to get to like 1K a month revenue. And um, this hit that, you know, like month two or something like that. Okay. Yeah. You know, and it hasn't grown a lot, but it's at least holding steady there. And I think it's just a matter of getting nothing more. 
you know, a lot of the features you've been adding are kind of core to the to being able to offer it to certain people, right? So if somebody's built yeah. their app in React, they well, unless you support React, that you're not going to get their business, right? So right, yeah, and I've had that's kind of where I've been. So it was so limited in the beginning, and now you know I'm getting responses that are like, I do want to use this, I will yeah. use this, but you know, use React or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's good. I, I mean, as long as there's progress and, you know, maybe it feels harder at the moment because you're still in the code. And once you get to sort of feature where you feel the features are there, then you can, you know, relax and start focusing on marketing and all that type of thing. But, but sure. that's a different pace than when you're in the code, sort of punching out features and things. Yeah. And I do feel, you know, I remember when we first started talking about this, I was like, how am I ever going to market outside of the app store? Like, I have no idea. And surprisingly, like, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. And I feel comfortable with like a couple of channels that are okay. working that I, I can, you know, double down on and actually yeah, yeah, yeah. bring in people. Nice. Well, I guess so that's the main good. thing, right? You can see a path towards to continue, right? Yeah, for sure. I think it's, you know, probably another three to six months of just that uphill pushing and yeah, then it'll, yeah, yeah. you know, will get easier. Yeah, it does. I mean, but it is, I can definitely feel you on that. It's, it's not always easy to keep motivated, but. I think that's where like, you know, chats like we have and, and stuff, and it really helps as well because you can talk through problems or what you're thinking and, and stuff. So super valuable. For sure. Yeah, that's definitely helpful. You know, I think right now it's just a matter of putting in the hours and there's yeah. no way around that, unfortunately. No, no. Unless a <laughs> VC firm wants to invest a few million dollars and I can take some time off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about them allowing you to take time off after taking oh, that's money. That's true. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's cool. I like that we started out this call by just sort of saying, well, man, what are we going to talk about? We've just met and we've just, uh, you know, recorded yeah. one of the longer episodes, right? One. So, <laughs> well yeah, done to us. <laughs> well, let's, um, yeah, let's yeah. leave it there and then we can chat again in a couple of weeks. All right. Sounds good. See ya. Yeah. Okay. Cheers, mate.